song about a man called Goff and a little boy who wanted to be tarred with the same brush. He learned Latin, held his head up high. And Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pod on the Hill, the official podcast of Victorian Labor. Each week we are joined by guests with whom we discuss the political issues, events and campaign activities of the week. My name is Conrad French and I am the Digital Director here at Victorian Labor. Remember to subscribe and follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or your favourite podcast app and leave a review. As always, if you have any questions for our upcoming guests, you can email us at podcast at vic.alp.org.au. Earlier this month, the federal government voted to hold a postal plebiscite on whether or not gay people should be allowed to get married. The, government, the federal government could have met their obligations as they stand in a representative democracy. However, they haven't, and as such, we have a plebiscite thrust upon us. To discuss the marriage equality campaign and other current issues, we are joined by Will Strach, Industrial and Campaigns Officer at Trades Hall. Welcome, Will. Hello. Now, before we get stuck into the nuts and bolts of the marriage equality campaign and such, I want to get some background about your good self. Now, you were, weren't born in Australia, you were born in Holland, and at what age did you arrive in Australia? I think I was about three. So you don't have any memories of... No, although we did used to go back every 12 months or so to visit the family over there, uh, but I, no, I never don't have any real memory of... Okay. Being Dutch. And what's your first memories of being in Australia then? So I remember when our trunks arrived from when we came here and we were living in Burwood at the time um, and I remember opening one of the trunks that had our stuff in it because they were the metal, you know, trunks that we had and um, finding my giant teddy, grabbing that and running up the stairs and running inside and that was it. Oh, we're done. So home had arrived. At that home had arrived. I was happy. Uh, now, you've always been a union member, yes. from my understanding. And so what was your first job and why did you join the union at that job? So the first job, well, I started off working in uh, doing hospital. I did one night as a bar. I didn't join the union there because okay. I didn't last more than one night. I was a really bad bartender, just so you know. Um, I worked... Uh, through uni doing all sorts of odd jobs, none of which, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I didn't join a union because they were all holiday-style jobs. I'd earn enough and then kind of go back and study. Um, when I graduated from uni, I went straight into practising law and at that point I joined the ASU private sector branch. Um, I was a member there when I left the law. Then I worked at Crown Casino. I parked cars at Crown Casino, which was just a top gig. And um, I was a member there of the T-dubs. And then um, I went to study acting at VCA. And then I joined MIA. So I was a, an Actors' Equity member. And then I went back and um, practised law again. And then I was a member of the ASU and a member of MIA. And I still am. Right. So you've, you've joined quite a number of unions yeah, yeah, and a number yeah. of jobs and tasks. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we, have, we certainly have an affinity there for my inability to work in hospitality yeah. as well, though. So I was terrible. I was terrible. And, for, and you end up working in a job with people, but you still couldn't Yeah, yeah. Nah, I was crap. Now, whilst you were involved in the union movement, obviously, in these, this plethora of jobs you were in, you were in now I assume you've, you've more often than not voted for the Labor Party, but it wasn't until 2007 that you decided to make that leap of faith and join the Labor Party. Yes. What was it that convinced you to join at that time? I came through, I came to the Labor Party through the industrial wing of the movement and I had, um, for me, I've, all, I've always voted Labor. I've always, in fact, I became an Australian citizen in 1984 so that I could vote for Bob. 
for the Hawkmeister. Very good. Yes. Um, so I've always voted Labor, I've always supported Labor, and I've always been in the union movement. I, I think that I got... I, what I came to realise is that the capacity to affect change is both industrial but also political. And so being a member of the Labor Party means that you just have that extra voice in creating policy, really. Mm. So why the party was established, really, was... As the, a, yeah, that's as, right. As it's the, the political par- wing of the industrial, yeah, you know, the, the Labor voice. movement. Yeah. To the, to the marriage equality uh, debate as such or campaign, there are many important points and questions, and I'm not sure really where to start with any of them. I guess probably the best the place to start is probably the plebiscite. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where we are, and whether it be postal or otherwise, um, there's been substantial opposition to it. Some of the Labor Party has, has fought in, in the uh, parliament, and there's currently a high court challenge to it at the moment. Why has there been such opposition to the, to the plebiscite or the idea of the plebiscite? Well, the thing about marriage equality is that it's, it's not just about marriage. It's about equality. So if you think about it in those terms, achieving equality can't be done through a discriminatory process. And this kind of vote, public vote, no other group has gone through that apart from our Indigenous comrades. And they they had to, right? It was a constitutional thing. They had to go through that. But no other minority group has had to have the question of their equality put to the majority. And we haven't done that for really any contentious issue. We didn't put the question of um, no-fault divorce out to a public vote. There's a whole lot of difficult questions that politicians... That's why we have representative democracy, is that you vote for a party that has a position that reflects what you believe. And so the idea that... um, that there's one group that, you know, LGBTIQ people, we have to have our equality put to a vote is an inherently discriminatory process. So we object to it. Really, that's my fundamental objection to it, is that it's not just about marriage. It's actually about the question of equality. Yeah, I guess, what about... I, that, that is more than an appropriate answer. What about the, the problem of, of letting people just say what they like in the community. Yeah, the, the, look, I'm into... And, and the heat of, a, of, a, of, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of an election. Well, by putting it out, by putting something out like that to a public vote, you are inherently saying there are two sides to a story that are equally valid. And you're saying, oh, you know, it's perfectly okay to do, to say and do or think in this way. And you're... Um, so first off, by innately putting it out to a vote, you are straight away saying to people two things. First off, there are two sides to this story, to the question of equality. And secondly, you're saying to people, look, we, the government, we make decisions about whether to send our young men and women off to war, whether they will die on foreign soil, and we don't put that to you. But this question here, this is so serious and frightening and difficult that we can't do that, that we're going to step away and do that. So you're automatically delivering a message that says that what is actually a small change is a huge and insurmountable thing to which there are two, and it's controversial, right? It's really controversial. And all of those things kind of innately weight this thing and weight the question in a way that 
it shouldn't be weighted. Mm. Aside from the political machinations um, of a plebiscite, I mean, we've saw what the conservative conservatives did to the republic. Republican mm-hmm. vote where they, they muddied the waters with a number of other issues. So but aside from those sort of political machinations of the purpose of a plebiscite, what, what, is a, what is the purpose of the plebiscite? Well, the way this one's being run, weirdly enough, um, there's no real purpose. So we're going out to $122 million voluntary postal process um, at the end of which, regardless of what happens pretty much every politician knows how they're going to vote. Like, it has to go back to Parliament, right? So your vote doesn't mean anything in that context. It has to go back to Parliament. And pretty much everybody's already said, all of those politicians have said, you know, I know what I think about this because we've been talking about this since 2004, right? So they all know what they think. And I don't know that anything's going to change regardless of the outcome, yeah? So effectively, what you are being asked to vote on is whether or not a private member's bill can be debated. So if this comes back and the answer is yes, then what the Libs have said is, well, then we'll allow debate of a private member's bill. As yet unseen, we don't know what's in it, um, and they haven't even, as far as I can tell, committed to allowing a free vote on their side. They've not actually... What they, what Turnbull and um, Matthias Cormann kept saying was, well, if you vote yes, then we will um, facilitate debate of a private member's bill. But I didn't hear them ever say, and we will allow our MPs a free vote. So you're not even getting that. What you're getting at the end is whether or not a bill will be debated where politicians already have a view. Yeah, so I guess then the question for our listeners is, if, it's, if it doesn't serve a purpose as such, why, why go to the effort of voting? Well, I suppose as someone who is uh, working on the Yes campaign, if there is one, I would say never give your opponent an easy break. Why give them an easy win? Secondly, um, yeah, look, uh, the whole process from a personal perspective, I find it difficult, really challenging it's humiliating. Yes, it's, it's got all of those things attached to it. But in the end, the best message we can deliver to these people who have stood in the way of this change for so long is to have an overwhelming vote that reflects what the polls have told us year after year after year. So if we're, if we're going to get stuck with this thing, we may as well come out of it representing the views of the Australian people. If you think, if you want to, if you're a yes person, I'll be honest, I've struggled with this question, right? Because my initial, I had, I've gone through a whole process of working out what I think about it. And in the end, this is what I got to. No matter how much we might say, oh, it's boycott, it's meaningless, um, all of that stuff. The day after this vote, there are young LGBTIQ kids around the country who are going to look at this result and think of it as a reflection of what how society values them. We can, we can say, no, that's not true. We can give them all of those messages, but they're going to wake up and that's what they're going to think. And I, I just couldn't in my heart, if it was a close vote or if we lost and I had boycotted, I just couldn't think 
I couldn't be sure that I wouldn't wake up the next morning seeing the tears of those young LGBTI kids and that my boycott might not feel a bit hollow. So I got to, if we're going to do this thing, let's just do it. Difficult as it is, problematic as the whole process is, in a way meaningless as the process is, politically, it has a meaning beyond that for our community and particularly for young people in our community. And so we have to, in my view, crush it. Couldn't agree more with having to crush it. I guess for me, the way I look at it is that it would be the conservative side of this issue, the Abbots, um, the Kevin Andrews of the world, yep. they would use this as some sort of mandate to say that the Australian people agree with their position, Yeah, which I, I don't believe is the case. Mm. So I, I, I mean, I personally, that's why I feel like you should, you know, people should be voting for it, is to say to these people that their position is not Australia in 2017. Yeah, and, and we, you know, we've spent a long time, like I've been involved in the... Um, in the struggle, like, you know, I went to AIDS vigils in the 80s and I, we kind of marched for relationship recognition in the 90s and there's, like, this has been a long-term process and I look at all of that work that was done over all that time going back all the way back to the first Mardi Gras and the kind of struggle and I go, it, it's, it, if we're going to honour the, the work that's been done to get us to this point where the majority of Australians support this that's what the polls say then we should trust that that work has happened we should trust that we can win this if everyone that we know gets that ballot in then we know that we will win this so you know that's why for me like I just look at it and go it's such a simple thing just tick a box put it in an envelope and get to a post office and in doing that you can deliver a message to those people who've been blocking this all this time it's such a simple way to do it now i'm going to go talk about a little bit about the language of the campaign and i'm not sure if you'll remember this will but it's something that certainly struck with me we would in 2010 election campaign we were having a conversation which i referred to the same sex uh marriage uh campaign you quickly educate, corrected and educated me on why it was a marriage equality campaign. This may sound like the same thing to many of our listeners, but it's not. Can you explain what the difference is between those two terms? Well, there's, there's two differences. One is that question of equality. So that's the, you know, that we talked about to start with. One is actually also because marriage equality is an inclusive term. So we have if you look at the acronym LGBTI, right? So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and intersex. And there are people who are born, who are sitting, um, they're, they're on a spectrum. Now, I'm going to apologise up front if my language around this, because I'm not, like, um, I, I'm going to struggle through this as best I can, okay? So particularly for our intersex comrades... Um, these are, are folks who are born who are not... They're on a spectrum when it comes to their kind of sex. And so... And it used to be that, you know, when someone was born, and f particularly if, if their body was kind of a mix, you know, then they would get effectively assigned a sex. And they don't do that now because there's an understanding that you need time, you need to work that through. And we've also got an understanding now that, that people have choice around, like there comes a point where 
some people they'll make a choice about how they want that to be and that that might change. There's lots of things. And so if what we say is this is just same sex, what that means is we are still saying that to get married, you have to be one of a man or a woman. So you're either a man marrying a woman or you're a man marrying a man or you're or the op opposite. And it's much more inclusive of that whole LGBTI community to say marriage equality because that's then just about two adults who love each other wanting and, and have committed to each other wanting to be together. And we don't have to worry about them being man and a woman or a woman and we don't have to worry about how they identify in gender terms and we don't have to worry about any of that. We just say, are you two adults who love each other are committed to each other, then let's just let people get married. Everyone can get married. Yeah, everyone, rather than kind of still forcing one part of our community, because they're excluded by same-sex marriage, that way we kind of say, no, 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 none of that matters. What matters is just that you love each other. Mm. And it gives the... Uh, sort of one of a better term, legitimacy to all relationships. Yeah. We saw Kevin Andrews' and, nonsense about cyclists yep. the other day. It, that's what that does. And all the spectrums. It lets, it lets people be who they are without forcing them into those choices for the sake of wanting to have that commitment. It's the understanding of the, the non-binary nature. Yeah, that. that's right. And both physically and also there's the, you know, the transgender, but, but particularly for our intersex um, comrades it's a really exclusionary thing. Now, a position that has been put for a long time around the marriage equality campaign is sort of a, a compromise being the civil union position, something that would have the same legal function as marriage but not be marriage as such. Why is, this, why is it important that this compromise position has been rejected? Um, I, years ago, I had this conversation with my brother and he said to me, what is it? What is this thing about the marriage thing? And I said, okay, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine that I come running in the door to you and I open that door and I say to you, I've got the best news in the world. I'm about to get civil unioned, right? <laughs> and he went, a union yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it works for me. It's not so great for him. Anyway, so he went, yeah. And I said, okay, now I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine, let's rewind the story and let's have me come running in and what I'm going to say to you is, I've got the greatest news in the world. I'm going to get married. How does that make you feel? And he went, ah, okay. The thing about civil unions is that what it is, it's a bit like saying to people, right, you've got a gay vote and you've got a straight vote and, and, and you, you, it's worth the same, right? Because when you go put it in a ballot box, it's worth the same. But you LGBTI people, you get a very special polling station just for you. You can only vote at those polling stations and everybody else gets to vote at all of those other polling stations, right? So it's equal, right? It's the same. It's got the same value, but it's separate, just for you, special, or to kind of deal with a more real-world example, it would be like saying, well, there's these drinking fountains, right? They've got the same water in them, comes from the same place, but you've got a very special drinking fountain that's marked LGBTI and everyone else has got only and then everybody else has got a drinking fountain that says straights only or just everyone else, right? And so 
that's what it feels like to us. And when you think about it, marriage, I understand that there's this notion of religious marriage. I get that. Um, and that people kind of, it's all bound up in that. But ultimately, what we are asking for is the Marriage Act, which is an act of parliament made by people, politicians, and it's a civil law, so it's a, it's a law there, and we say every law should apply equally to everyone. So let's change that law. That, that does bring me well to my next question. You touched on the religious point, and I mean, we discussed there's many arguments that we put that, we are, that are irrelevant to the question of marriage equality, be they the straw man arguments yep. or the slippery slope arguments or appeals to nature, begging the question, etc. I could go on. But I'll not justify most of those with a, with a response. One, however, I feel that could be damaging uh, to the campaign is the question of religious marriage. I can see that there could be people out there who would would support the, the idea of marriage equality but might get worried about relig- other people's religious freedoms. If marriage equality is passed in Australia, will this mean that religious institutions will be forced to marry same-sex or uh, the whole spectrum of people? Um, is this the case? or is No. So at the moment, religious institutions already, like churches and religious bodies, already can say no. They can say no already. So churches, um, for instance, religions that say we don't recognise divorce can say, well, we're not going to marry this particular couple because one of them has got a divorce. We don't, we don't acknowledge that, that's, that that exists. Um, so churches already have those rights. Um, and that won't be changed by this. It can't be changed by this because if you change that, then you have to change all of those other things. So that's not going to happen. Um, in addition to that, we know that there are civil celebrants and the, the laws that have been proposed around this, so the Dean Smith Bill, for example, that allows for religious celebrants um, a, a new category to be created. So those who are existing religious celebrants, for instance, who, who might hold strong religious views, so you're a civil celebrant but you are you hold a strong religious view, they will be allowed to register as a religious civil celebrant. And that means that they don't have to perform that they're allowed to say no to performing same sex marriages or, you know, what we're calling them. Yeah. When we achieve marriage equality, um, they can say no to any couple that on this basis it doesn't accord with their religious views and therefore they're not gonna perform that wedding. So they will have that protection and churches and religious organisations already have that protection and all that will happen is the Marriage Act most likely will just reaffirm those existing protections that that already exist. Now we've touched on um, a bit of this already but we we really have discussed this as sort of an overarching um, sort of narrative to to the, the broader society. What does this, what does the marriage equality uh, mean for you personally? I want to get married. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I have uh, a wonderful partner, beautiful. She's an organizer with a trade union, so we're a union family. It's our thing. <laughs> um, I love her very, very much. Uh, last year, we got non-legally married, so we invited all our friends and family and we had a, a celebrant come along and do essentially what was pretty close to the service. Um, uh, and what I'd really like is to have that be legally recognised. 
there are protections that come, legal protections that come with being married um, that you don't get with just registering, registering a domestic partnership. Uh, so there are legal protections that sit with that. There's also that thing around um, the commitment that we have for each other. And so on, just on a personal level, you know, I want to wear the suit one more time. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, it's important to me for that reason. But I mean, apart from obviously the political, the political's really important and all that stuff. But just on a personal level, I just want to get frocked up and do the thing again. <laughs> Very good. Uh, as someone who isn't married and doesn't think, <laughs> doesn't believe in marriage as a concept, it's a strange <laughs> one for me. <laughs> oh, look, I, I'll say to you that um, when I was a, a 19-year-old, I... You know, and my framework then was that, you know, mar- I had a particular view about marriage and what marriage was, and I get that, and I get the whole, you know, I get people, and I get the, un- I understand people who choose not to get married, I get all of that. Really, what we want is just the option, mm. really. I have suggested a couple of times to solve the marriage equality problem by just banning marriage. Just, yeah, <laughs> there is that. There is that, but, you know, it is a funny, it's a funny thing that people want we are very rights are very important and the kind of ceremonies that we do in life and the milestones that we make and that is a milestone in a sense for some people's understanding right like i it's not necessarily um it's not the be all and end all necessarily for everyone but it is one of those milestone things and the option would be nice you should be allowed to do you it. should be allowed to yeah uh, we're not wanting to have this digress into a debate about the legitimacy of marriage as a concept. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll move on to my next question, which is actually going to move away from the marriage equality debate for the moment, well, not to the debate, the marriage equality campaign for the moment. And I want to talk about something that has been growing in controversy recently. It's the Safe Schools Program. Yeah. And firstly, I mean, a number of our listeners will already understand the Safe Schools Program and what it is and what it does, are you, can you articulate for our listeners that don't perhaps know what it is, what it is and why it's so important? So the, the program was developed at the request of teachers. So that's the first thing. And what teachers um, and schools said and school communities said was we know that the, the evidence says that LGBTI young folk, um, they get bullied and it's a challenge. And of course, there are lots of reasons why people get bullied. But what we also know is that LGBTI young folk have a significantly higher suicide rate than other young folk. So they were saying there's this issue and we don't feel like we're equipped. We don't feel like we've got the language. We don't feel like we understand, like, how do we make the school, because the evidence also says that that happens in, at the school which is a place where kids spend eight hours of their day and where they give the bulk of their social interactions. Um, schools were saying, we just don't feel like we can understand how can we make all of our kids safe and happy so that they can become who they are going to become and so that they can live to see adulthood in some cases. So the Safe Schools, um, is a, it's a resource for a school. There is contained within that questions that a school might ask about uh, how it looks at what it does. Um, there are, uh, you know, there's guidance. There's a series of kind of tools that schools can use, that teachers can use. And it's this, the teachers 
and the schools make the decision about which of those things they're going to do, the tools that they're going to use, the, the issues that they are addressing within that school, um, and how what's the appropriate way to address those um, with, the, with the students that they have, within the context that they are. So it's not sex education, it's none of that, it doesn't touch on that. What it asks, um, it does at times ask kids to think about the experience of others and what it might be like to um, be different. Uh, but it doesn't... But again, th these are tools and resources that a school chooses from um, and they get support from, you know, the department about how they implement that in such a way that everyone in the school is kind of safe and comfortable and happy. So it's... There's a lot of stuff around about, you know, it's teaching kids this or it's teaching kids that or it's mandated this or it's mandated that or you have to, whatever. It's none of that. It's a resource and it's expertise that a school can draw on to make sure that every kid is safe and happy and well. Mm. I mean, I know personally growing up in a regional, a very small country town and I said things that I would now regret as a, yeah. as a fully rounded human being. Uh, but those things those resources would have been important for teachers mm. at the time to be able to explain why yeah. some things you, are offensive and why you shouldn't shouldn't say some things and and how people are different and it's it's something that I think and I have I've, I come from a family of teachers who that these questions are very difficult to answer a lot of the time and I think that's a it's a very important resource yeah for schools. and it I mean it when it happens you know like it, it, it I understand that parents worry about what's happening in schools and I understand that they get nervous and anxious about things that are difficult concepts but we ask our schools to create and help us to create kind compassionate human beings at the end of the day and any tool that any any resource and support that schools can have to to make that and help that happen, I think is a good thing. And it's been running for 10 years with no controversy. So if if even one-tenth of the things that people say that it does were true, then I'm pretty sure we would have seen it be controversial long before now. Um, it was introduced at a federal level under Tony Abbott. So let's just agree <laughs> that um, as, a, as a resource and as a guide, if... It had been. Uh, it was. It, they've had an inquiry into it. They found that it was. In, it was an appropriate resource for schools. Um, it's targeted at high schools. And the last thing I'd say is, if you worry about, like, I think parents have more to worry about about what their kids are seeing on a smartphone in their own time with the internet. Um, I would want kids to grapple with sometimes difficult concepts with teachers and support and resources. Um, in a way that lets you get language for that and to talk about those things rather than what you get on the inter-Google web business, which is, you know, I mean, that if you want to talk confronting, that is confronting. And, I mean, parents are obviously very important to raising their, ch their children. And, mm. But some of these things, teachers can be better equipped because they have to do it every year and they talk to the same group and they know the, the kids they teach. So uh, I think sometimes parents... It's sort of a strange one where a lot of the time people talk about how teachers have 
not enough influence on on students and then they don't have enough influence and they have, they have too much too influence much, on other yeah. things. And it seems to be too often it's a, a pick and choose your issues a bit and that's what this really feels like. Yeah, it? yeah, it does. I mean, for me it does. And I, what I wish is that, it, here's what I reckon, if you're worried about, if you're a parent and you're worried about that, go talk to the school. Go, they will, they will talk to you through this stuff and there are resources and people that can talk about this. And if this is your worry, like you would with anything, go talk to the school about it and ask the questions that you need, that you need asked. Don't believe what someone says on the internet about this stuff. Um, you know, we don't believe anything else that you just see in a viral video on the internet. I don't, I don't believe that. I go to where the people can tell me the answers to actually what's happening in our world and in our community, in our school community, and that's the school, isn't it? That's the place to go. Yeah, the same way I was pulled from religious education as a six-year-old. People, you can go and talk to your school and yep. find out what is yep. going on, and you can. And if you've got a problem, talk to your school. Now, for those obviously that are listening that don't know, we're recording this in Trades Hall, and it would be remiss of me not to ask a question about industrial relations being here in the hall with Will. Now, with the debate, with the average, and we've had the marriage equality, it's yep. become quite a, a, a forefront issue at the moment in, a, in Australian politics, but also the inability of all the other major political parties outside the Labor Party to work out whether or not they're dual citizens. We've seen the penalty rates campaign <laughs> sort of take a back seat. Yep. Where are we right now with the penalty rate, the save the penalty rates campaign, and where do we go from here? Well, that will continue all the way until we reverse those cuts. Um, these cuts impact on our lowest paid workers. These are people for whom a forty dollar a week cut is the difference between putting food on the table or paying the electricity bill you know, or, or, or getting their kid to be able to do a school excursion or something like that. The, the workers who are impacted by this are some of our lowest paid. These are predominantly, these are female-dominated industries, these are low-paid women, um, and they, like, we can't, as a movement, stand by and let that happen. So we will continue to push, we will continue to fight, we will um, take this all the way to the election and beyond until such time as those cuts are reversed. Um, and we would say there's there's a range of things in our systems. Like we've got at this moment the lowest wage growth. You know, you know people are struggling, and the 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 we've got wages basically flatlining now, and the capacity to negotiate better. We've got workers. At this point, 40% of workers are on insecure working arrangements. We've got 20% of workers who are casual. We've got 20% of workers who are on labour hire or pretend contracts, you know, pretend subcontracts. And, and these are workers... We have a generation of workers now growing up, getting jobs now, who don't have the luxury of annual leave or sick leave um, available to them. These are not their choices. And so... All of those protections that we worked as a union movement to create and those things so that we would have a decent standard of living, so that um, we would have safe jobs and secure jobs that you could budget the future with, that you could make plans with, um, knowing each week that you were going to get money so that you could 
pay your bills and, and get the kids off to school and, and, you know, put food on the table and keep the lights on and all of that. Um, we worked really hard as a movement for that and there has been a gradual dismantling of all of those things um, and we've just got to we've just got to relook at the whole system and go there are things that need to get fixed this is not this is we don't want to be that country we don't want to be a country where our kids are worse off than we are where we are raising a generation for whom there is no job security for whom there is no guarantee that they can ever buy a house for whom those things that we hold dear a notion of a fair society and a fair go where we go you know what nah we're good with you know going backwards it's not happening yeah the the idea that i mean we you're right you touched on something there that did strike me there that we have a generation coming through in these workplaces and they all think that that's a normal way yeah that's normal that's business as usual yep. and it's not business as usual no it's not and and young you know there's there's young workers they, they it's just how it is they all accept it and they go you know what i'm just going to go and get another job and they'll kind of hunt, hunt around and they'll find another low-paid you know crappy job and they'll sit on that and that's no way to build a future right we can't build we can't build a smart strong um, future in this country. We're not going to be the smart country. We're not going to be innovative. We're not going to build anything. We're not going to do anything if we have a generation of people who basically are flipping around job to job just trying to make ends meet. And it's all very well to think that that's okay when you're 19, 20, 21, but then you get to your late 20s and people start saying, I want to have kids now. I want to do those things. And if you're still kind of doing... Um, jobs you're doing four internships unpaid where you're getting to be frank screwed along the way um, before you can get yourself a, a kind of job at the start of the ladder and then you've got to work your way up um, that that's no way to build a country that can be in our global economy and actually do the things that we've always prided ourselves on making stuff and being ahead of the curve and giving everyone a fair go and it's not even, I mean, even when you get to the bottom of that ladder, a lot of the time those jobs aren't secure they're either. Not, yeah, they're not, you're not going anywhere. You've got to scramble for that and then you've got to hope that the next thing comes along. And this is not right. You know, one in five workers roughly is a casual employee and we can talk about flexibility, but we know that there's a whole lot of workers who actually want that. We've got full-time casuals. We've got people who are employed and they get a label of casual, but they're actually doing full-time hours. That's a job. And if they had actually that job, they could go to the bank and say, can I have a loan? Because then they can show the bank that they're going to have the same pay next week and the week after. But because they're called a casual, the bank goes, yeah, you're a bit too risky for us, right? So we're not going to give you the money. So they can't get that. So they are forever trapped in a rental cycle. And it can even be worse than that. I mean, a lot of um, landlords will ask for yeah for, for bank statements yep. and for security of income. Yep. And, if you don't have security of income, you can't necessarily get a house. And so we see, and we see rental pressure going up. Yep. All of these problems. So it's, it's even worse now than being caught in a rental cycle. A lot mm. of these people really struggling to just get rental properties. And you can't start a life if you have no security of, of, of home. Yeah, I, I, I own a home. I couldn't, if I would, I could, I, you know, I couldn't do that now. I bought it 20 years ago. And if I were the same age now... I wouldn't qualify for a loan because I showed up with a partner who had one piece of paper and me having done, you know, a whole lot of different jobs as we talked about moving through, um, I wouldn't get a loan now. 
But so, so I don't, we can't be the generation that hands over basically a bucket of crap and goes, here you go, fix it. Good luck with all of this. Yeah, good luck with that. There you go. We've had a great time. We trashed the joint. And now, you know, now you've got to do the tidy up now. That's not right. We're here now. We have to fight to make it better. I could not agree more, Will. This has been a fantastic conversation, Will, and I've enjoyed it immensely. Now, we have to move to our next round of questions here that I just, just deliberately did not tell you about. Our lightning round questions. These are oh, genuine, God. quick, straight off the mark, <laughs> first thing that comes into your head. Yep. Some of these questions may be completely irrelevant to you. Others may not. Which actor would you want to play you in a film based on your life? Uh, Meryl Streep. She can play anybody. She can do anyone anytime. That's I think a, also a play of... anyone anytime. She can probably do anyone anytime as well. I think a number of people have used yep. Meryl Streep. Uh, first album you ever purchased? It's embarrassing. It's the Bay City Rollers. Um, I think it was Roland. Is this worse albums out? We've yeah, had worse no, answers than that. No, nah, there's we've not. Had, we've had better answers. Yeah, yeah there's not. There's we, not. You may have nah. had worse. I might go through the back through the episodes. Uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Both. Both. Make a decision. No, but Star Trek. Uh, what's the last book you read? <gasps> this is really bad. I don't. Rem- I c- actually can't remember. In the fair work, uh, yeah, yeah. The, let, let's well, that's not technically a book, no, right? No. Yeah, no, I don't, I can't remember the last book I read. Well, it, there, I, there's I, something for you. I can't remember what, what it was called. It was a detective novel set in um, uh, uh, Turkey. Okay, now this is a pretty obvious one. As, as a Friends on Facebook, and I've seen a lot of your Footscray posts. What's your favourite football memory? Oh, so it's... Uh, Dorothy two, Dixon from the back it's, bench It's there. 2016, and it's grand final day, and I'm all dressed in red, white, and blue, and Tom Boyd kicks that go- that that ball in the air, and it bounces exactly the way it's meant to and goes through those goals, and I'm, like, just, just, just to the side of those goals, and I rise to my feet... And then all of the blood rushes out of my head and I literally collapse onto the ground and I go, I have that moment of going, oh, I'm going to be that fan. I'm going to be the new story of the night, right? That the person who passed out, so I'm on the ground just kind of carefully breathing my way, I get back up. But that was truly, don't tell my wife this, but that was truly one of the greatest moments of my life. (laughs) Maybe you can top if we you can actually get married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we can, if it's a legal marriage, I reckon that'll top it. Just, just inferior Australian cities: Brisbane or Perth? I can't do that because I have comrades in both, and I'm not committing one way or another. Anger one set. Will everyone no. else has answered this question? No, I, I can't. I, I, I can't because QCU, our comrades in Queensland, they're amazing and they do amazing work. And and um, our comrades over in WA, they are like they're like a pocket rockets over there so they're both beautiful i'll let you get away with that. thank you very much your soft drink choice when the sausage sizzle has run out of coke sprite or fanta sprite best fictional political tv slash series slash movie book film what's that british one house of cards no 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 The, the one with the guy who swears all the time out of oh, my head. in the thick of it. In the thick of it. It's so good. Well, that actually leads to my next lightning question. Which is the better uh, representation of political life, Veep or uh, in the thick of it? 
Oh, I think they both have elements that are right. I'd go within the thick of it. And finally, worst modern electrical device, the electric book or electric cigarette? Oh, electric cigarette. Okay. Thank you very much, Will. Now, before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to plug? Well, um, well now that you mention it, uh, if this postal thing goes ahead, um, we are going to need everybody to be doing their part, all those people who support marriage equality and support equality. Um, and that's going to mean everybody kind of talking to all of their friends and family because, you know, there are two steps to this, right? We've got to get people to say yes, but then the hard part is actually making sure that they get a ballot in an envelope into the post office. And anyone who gets mail these days, you just know, right? It sits on the fridge or on the counter and then you, I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that, and then the moment passes. And then you kind of finally find it where you sort your papers out three months later and go, Bucker, should have got that in. So what we are saying to people is please talk to all of everyone in your phone contact list should get a phone call from you saying, hey, I just want to ask you, do you know how you're going to vote? Because I really want you to vote yes. And then everyone, when those ballots, if it proceeds and the High Court case fails, when those ballots hit the letterboxes, you need to be ringing all those people again and going, now, Nan, Nan, I know, do you, like, is it in the envelope, Nan? Have you signed it? Duck, do you need some help getting it to the post box, Nan? So you need to be making sure that all those ballots go in because if you don't do that, all of the goodwill in the world, all of the support that you have for the LGBTI community, all of the support you have for the concept of equality doesn't actually count. Thank you very much, Will, for taking the time out to come on our podcast today. And thanks for all of you out there listening to this week's episode of Pod on the Hill. Remember, you can download each episode every week on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Share the link for Pod on the Hill on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. And for all the latest Labor news, be sure to follow Victorian Labor on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now, Will, to the hardest question of the week. What song on which we finish and why? So I've chosen... Um Luck May by Dalib. It's a lovely classical piece. It's quite restful and beautiful. But for me, it's important because when I was a kid growing up, um, I didn't understand when all of my friends talked about boys. I never got it. I thought I was a late bloomer. I thought one day you'll get it. One day it'll come to you, right? And then I went and saw this movie called The Hunger and it has um, Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon and David Bowie in it too, right? And there's this scene in it where Catherine Deneuve seduces... Susan Sarandon, um, and she's playing the piano. She's playing Lachme by Dalib. And it was the moment in my life when I kind of went, aha, <laughs> right, I don't think you're ever going to feel about boys the way that everybody else feels about boys because those feelings that you have for girls, that's a thing. Um, and so it was... For me, it's a just in case it's a trashy movie. Like seriously, it's about vampires. Like it's just, it's real crap. But um, Catherine Deneuve is beautiful. Susan Sarandon's amazing, and it changed my life. <laughs>